Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast, number 452, Receptive Language Milestones by 18 Months, brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, where we're the largest online provider of ASHA-approved continuing education courses for professionals. Today, we're continuing our Language Milestones podcast series. Now, this is show number three in a 14-part series where we're reviewing all the language milestones from the time a child reaches about 12 months old all the way through 48 months. We're tackling the milestones in six-month increments, one show for receptive language and then one show for expressive language. So in this course, like I said, we're up to part three, so now we're looking at receptive language by 18 months. So we're covering loads of material today, and you're probably going to want to start to go ahead and get the handouts for this course. I love how these are organized because it's simple simple and easy, especially for you as speech language pathologists. You can use this as a reference for what you're working on with the child. And then also it's a great tool for parent education because the instructions for each of the milestones or each of the skills we'll be targeting are listed right here on the handout as well. So you'll find the link to purchase CE credit here on YouTube uh, below here in the post. If you're listening on your podcast app, you can get this information and register for your CE credit at my website at teachmetotalk.com, and this is show 452. Uh, purchasing the handout is also a great way to support our work. So if you are a parent or a grandparent or another professional and don't need the CE credit, but you're benefiting from these courses, we'd love for you to support that and make this continue to make this available for the parents who can't afford that. And again, you can find that link right here below, um, here, uh, below the video here on YouTube. All right, for parents who are tuning in to see how your child is doing, let's just go ahead and dive right in and look at this 18 month receptive language uh, list of milestones. And so this is on page one of your handout and especially down the right hand side. So the first milestone is follows one step commands during play. So that's that a child understands really simple familiar directions during play like push, like put it in, like give it to me or like do it again. Just those really simple familiar routines that we uh, are are incorporating every day as we play with our our little babies and our toddlers can they follow those directions that's the first skill and really that's what everything else all the other things that we're going to talk about today sort of hinge on that skill so we're going to be breaking it down into more specific uh, milestones as well the second milestone is response to request to say words now this isn't on every developmental screener or test but I love it and we'll talk about all the reasons that this is important but by the time a child is 18 months old, and actually this happens really in typical development at about 15 months old, the child really understands response to request to say words. The third milestone here is identifies body parts on a doll, and so that's a natural extension of identifying body parts on himself or on his mom. Can he do it on another object? And again, a child can usually do this with typical language development by 18 months. The fourth skill is understand some early prepositions. Now, prepositions are 
words like location words like up and down and in and out and off and on, can a child begin to follow some directions? And like we talked about back in the first milestone, follows one-step directions during play. This is a little bit more technical aspect of that. So does he understand those specific words that denote location? And we'll talk more about that as we get into discussing all the skills. The next milestone is finds familiar objects not in sight. So it's kind of a two-part component there. Does the child understand or does he have the receptive language capacity to have linked meaning with several familiar objects that he uses during his everyday routines? And does he remember where you keep those items in his home? And can he go retrieve those? And this, you know, is dependent upon mobility. If we had a child who wasn't as mobile, we certainly could assess their ability to do this just by putting some familiar things mixed in with other other uh, familiar familiar items and see if they're really distinguishing those. But this is a really important one and, a, and again a really marker for not only receptive language but for cognition as well. The next milestone is enjoys rhymes and finger plays. So not only do they participate in those early social games and fun little routines with their parents, but now do they like them? Do they initiate them? Do they crave them? Do they remember them so well that they're again doing their own part and, and even instigating that with their parents. So how well do they enjoy rhymes and finger plays? The next milestone is attends to pictures. And this is really important to pediatric speech language pathologists because we're always linking literacy with language development. And so here by 18 months, we want a child engaged with books and routinely attending as his parents try to read him early little stories. And certainly as they try to point out pictures to label and have him respond as an early language development task. And the last milestone in the receptive language uh, category here is understands 50 words. And I guess this really would be the culmination of all the skills that we we've talked about so far in the receptive language category. Do they assign meaning? Do they, do they comprehend and show evidence that they comprehend 50 different words? And again, some parents might see this and think, gosh, that's a lot. But the truth is, <laughs> kids who are really, uh, who are, are, their language skills are well developing, understand even more than that. So this 50 word marker isn't something that's just pie in the sky and really unattainable. This is something that we see typically developing toddlers do. All right, so we also want to discuss the major cognitive milestones in this developmental period from 12 to 18 months. And you can find this information uh, on the bottom of the second page of your handout. So let's look at that list. I hope you're following along with the handout. And so the major cognitive milestones by 18 months are demonstrates functional use of objects like drinking from a cup, brushing your hair with a hairbrush, or putting a hat on your head, or when you see a sock, knowing that it goes on your feet. And then the second skill here is imitating actions they see during play. So when they watch you play, can they do very predictable things like pushing a, a particular button on the toy to activate the toy? Can they pat a baby 
Barbie doll, like you've just shown them how to do. Can they bang on a drum with a stick? Can they try to open the door in the barn? Do they watch you and copy those actions? So those are the skills that we'll be reviewing in this developmental period. And again, we're at 12 to 18 months. And again, we're looking at receptive language. And so if you've joined me for shows 450 through 451, you know what we'll do now is take each of those skills and really break those down. So that's what I want us to move to now. And let me just quickly say, if you're wondering about the references or the sources for these milestones, we talked about that a lot back in shows 450 and 451, so I'm not going to repeat that information here, but you'll know where to find that. All right, so we have tons to cover today, so let's just dive right in and let's talk about discussing uh, receptive language skills here. That's what we're going to begin with. Let's begin with a quick reminder for parents and professionals who are not speech-language pathologists, just the differences between receptive language and expressive language. Receptive language is what kids understand or how well they comprehend. And like I always say, how well do they link meaning with words? When they see you hold up a round object that bounces, do they understand when you have that object with lots of other things? Do they understand when you say, where's the ball? That's a good example of receptive language. Expressive language is what a child can say. So does he say ball when you ask what's this? And so here's the connection. Many, many times parents recognize when their child is not talking, but sometimes they miss when a child doesn't understand words. And the reason that's important is kids always understand words before they can use those words to communicate or even before they can even say those words they understand those words so when children have difficulty meeting our early receptive language milestones or the comprehension piece like we're talking about today they are going to naturally have difficulty with the expressive piece or what they learn how to say so anytime there's a receptive language delay we automatically know that there will be an expressive language delay as well. And we talked about that a lot back in shows 450 and 451 if you want to hear more about that. So here we are all the way up to the 12 to 18 month uh, receptive language period or even expressive language. And let me just say 12 to 18 months is a wonderful developmental period. There are so many things happening and we always think about the terms language or the term, the words, language explosion. And so here's what happens. We have a receptive language uh, language explosion toward the beginning of this phase. And guess what that sets us up for? It sets us up for that expressive language explosion. And so unless a kid has a real just just a big increase in what he understands, he's not going to get to that talking piece or the expressive piece. And again, lots of parents miss this. Physicians can even miss this because they're just seeing a child just for those small spurts. And many times the child is sick when he or she is going in. And because it's a new environment, the doctor may miss, gosh, this child isn't very connected. This child isn't really understanding any verbal directions that I ask him or her to do or you know, perhaps they attribute it to behavior or just, I, I don't know how they could miss so many receptive language delays other than those really just common sense kinds of reasons, but they do. And so again, we have to make sure that children are, are understanding 
and 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 really linking that meaning and really demonstrating that they get it and that language makes sense to them and they are able to to again process the words that are coming in so that coming up in the next or toward the end of this developmental period and especially in the next developmental period 18 to 24 months we see that expressive language explosion so let's go ahead and talk about the specific receptive language milestones the first one is follows one-step commands during play. Now, toddlers with typically developing uh, language skills, like we talked about in the introduction, understand simple directions when they're playing with someone else by about 15 months old. So this is one of the ones that we want to see come in pretty early. And so again, 18 months old is kind of the outside age of this where we think of uh, kids again being within that realm of typical language development and so this is a really big milestone that I use when I'm first getting to know a child and his or her family and so this is one of the first questions that I ask in an, in an assessment even before we start doing the formal uh, criterion referenced assessment with something like the Rosetti or if we're using something standardized like the PLS5 or another, another uh, tool that you might use before we even get there when I'm just starting to talk with the family and one of the things I say is how well does he follow uh, requests from you how how does he do things that you ask him to do in play how is that as compared to everyday routines and so then for parents who don't come up with a really uh, just strong he no he doesn't follow directions or yes he does for the parents who are kind of in the middle give them some examples so they know what you're talking about so talk about really and again we're, we're just at this at the 12 to 18 month level we're not expecting any anything beyond follow simple familiar one-step commands during play like when you say push the button push does he know without seeing you push the button does he know what that means does he understand again in context when you're playing if there you have a ball and there's a a hole in the toy and it's obvious and maybe he has seen you put the ball in the hole can you say to him without lots of explanation put it in put the ball in does he understand that has he has he uh, had enough experience with that toy and with hearing that request to know that that's what you mean with that if she's stacking blocks if you say stack it up or knock it down or something again super familiar that she's heard you say time and time and time again does she follow that direction will she if you if you have a baby doll there uh will if you if could you say give the baby a kiss or kiss the baby would she know what that means without you modeling that for her first if a parent says no not very often or if you're talking about daily routines and how well does he follow some directions during daily routines and they say you know not very often automatically you know even before you open that assessment and start to give that test that there are issues with that child's uh, receptive language skills and so we really need to tease that out with a child and I'll help you do that as we walk through the rest of this course with looking at receptive language because the specific milestones here this is where we get get to kind of the crux of it why is he not following one step directions during play is it that he doesn't understand the the action word there is it that he doesn't understand the preposition are you saying put it in or take it out and he has no idea what those words mean and so that's what we'll be breaking down through the rest of this show but before we get to those very specific milestones let's just talk about some 
general strategies that we can use any time a child is having difficulty understanding what words mean. And so anytime we see that, when we see that a child is, quote unquote, uh, I don't even know if you want to call it misbehaving at this point, but certainly not following what you ask them to do. We always want to take a step back and not look at it as behavioral, but really think, is this child having difficulty understanding what words mean? And again, we know that if they're not following these directions, they're certainly not understanding as well as we would expect them to be uh performing or understanding by the time that they've reached 18 months or during this period. And so parents will need some new ideas. They're going to, kids are going to need some more specific strategies because they're just not getting it, for lack of a better word, uh, the regular way. And so many times, you know, we have to implement some what we would call as professionals direct teaching, meaning that we're not just going to let it be naturally occurring or incidental teaching in everyday routines, which is, you know, what, how we would probably word it in our professional terminology. But we've got to really change what we're doing. And so maybe simple narration isn't effective enough. Maybe it's not that the parent isn't reducing their complexity. They're not talking in paragraphs. They are talking in lots of single words and they are using lots of short phrases, but at the same time, the child's just not getting it. So for those parents, we have to really talk to them about how actively involved they have to be in helping a child understand language. So they actually have to go out of their way (laughs) to be sure that a child is getting the kinds of cueing that he needs so that he can tune in and really begin to assign meaning. And so we do this during everyday routines all day, every day, but we really should take opportunities to do it during that playtime where we're one-on-one with the child down on their level, on the floor, and if that's impossible for a parent or a grandparent working with a child, you know, yeah, up in a high chair is okay, you know, sitting in bed together, that's okay, but at the same time, we've got to be on the same level as the child, so again, we are right there, and we are solely focused on making sure that they understand language, and they're they're learning how to follow directions, and so if a child seems reluctant when we're playing with them one-on-one to follow our commands for whatever reason and again we we always pardon me are going to want to think about it being a receptive language issue we need to do lots of modeling with that so that we're not only saying things like um you know hug the baby let's hug the baby hug this baby you know if you're playing with a baby doll that you actually pick up the baby doll and hug them yourself or if you're saying something like oh let's feed the baby get the baby a bite and you are uh, taking the spoon there and and actually showing the child how to do that and again some of us as therapists we're always kind of in the testing not teaching mode so we do want to see what a child will do without the visual uh, help or the visual cue there but we want to see what they're going to do just with that auditory direction first but at the same time so many of our little friends especially those who have uh known receptive language delays this is how we help them learn how to follow commands in play we give them enough support to do it and we actually show them how to do it so that kind of well let me say one more thing and then we'll get into cueing when you're working with a child like this you you may need two objects for everything that you're uh, you're doing so if you are playing with a baby doll set you might need a baby doll for each of you and a spoon for each of you and a a bottle for each of you and a, a wipe for each of you so that the child 
doesn't get caught up in those power struggles where he or she wants to hoard all of the toys or, or really where they get upset because you've taken the one thing that they're using. So if they're holding the spoon and you say give the baby a bite and the baby and the child doesn't do it, naturally you're going to want to take the spoon and that can and so that you can show the child and that's upsetting for a lot of kids. So go ahead and save yourself some trouble and try to get duplicates of each object, especially if that's something that you know routinely sets the child off if they're going to get upset that you took their toy. And that's really common here in this developmental period. It doesn't necessarily mean anything is wrong developmentally. Children are learning possessiveness and they're learning that they exist and they are their own little person outside of everybody else and they can make their own choices in their own own decisions. They're learning that even at 12 to 18 months old. And so again, no, there's nothing wrong when a child gets upset that you have taken his car to show him how to how to push it down the toy more effectively than what he's doing. But you want to avoid those power struggles if you can. All right, let's talk about the specific cues that speech language pathologists use when we are teaching children to understand language. And so we talk about these as verbal cues, visual cues, and tactile cues. So what are verbal cues? Verbal cues are just telling a child what you want him or her to do. So let's go, let's use our example here. Um, let's just say that we're playing with farm animals. And let's say we have farm animals in a little barn. And let's say that we are going to tell a child, <coughs> excuse me, to put the animals in the barn. So we might start with something like, uh, knock on the door, let's knock on the door. So the first part of that would be what? It's your verbal cue of saying, knock on the door. The second uh, kind of cue that professionals use here are visual cues. So the part that comes next would be showing a child what to do. So after you've said knock on the door and the child isn't doing it, what could your visual cue be? And I've already shown you. <laughs> I can't even do it without showing you. But it would be you doing it. It's you modeling the action. So knocking there on that barn door, that, door, that would be how you show the child how to use that toy and how to do, how to follow that command that you've asked him to follow. And then the next part of that, if he doesn't understand what to do, you would be uh, providing that physical assistance. So the tactile cueing. So what do you do for that? That's where you take a child's hand and you make him or help him knock on the door right there. And so I call this uh, cueing system that we use is a tagline I developed long ago. And if you've listened to more than a few of my podcasts, you've heard me say it, but I want to remind you again. It's tell him, show him, help him. And that's the kind of cue or that's the kind of tagline that we should be using with parents over and over and over again because they may not remember. First, I want to do the verbal cues. Then I want to do the visual cues. Then I want to do the tactile cues. They're not going to remember that, but they probably will remember tell him, show him, help him. So that's what we need to do to help children really begin to follow directions. And we use those cues even as we're working with the child and the parent throughout the session. So we're saying something like, oh, I told him, I I, I, I gave him that verbal cue. I, I told him what to do. That's the telling part. He didn't get it. So now I have to move on to show him. And so you talk about how you're pointing or how you are demonstrating or modeling what you want the child to do. And then you might say, oh, he still didn't get it that way. Now we're going to have to really help him do it. So that means that we take his little hand and we, as best we can, help him follow this direction. And again, you're going to do that without making him mad and without, you know, just 
totally causing a complete meltdown so that he wants to get as far away from you as humanly possible. You don't want to do that. But at the same time, you do want to provide those hands-on cues to really help children begin to respond and help them know, oh, she asked me to do something. She's giving me a direction here. I need to do my best to try to follow this. And so that's why we provide that physical assistance. And let's face it, as parents, we do that all day long. When a child isn't getting her shoes on, what do we do? We help her get her shoes on. When it's time for her to brush her teeth and she can't do it by herself, what do we do? We help her. We brush her teeth for her, right? And so this is not unheard of. But sometimes therapists are a little bit reluctant to do as much hands-on cueing and hands-on assistance as we need to provide for our little friends with receptive language delays. And so I want to encourage you to do that. This other big caveat here is because we're working on receptive language, we really should not be asking a child to say anything. And that is so hard for speech language pathologists and for parents as well to really double down and focus on receptive language and make it just as important as receptive as expressive language to the point where we don't have very many expectations for talking at all when we know that we are doing a receptive language uh, task where that's our goal and when we know that a child is having difficulty with that because when we're asking him to do something that's hard like follow a direction a new direction and then we try to make him say the word on top of that can you see how you've just made it pretty likely that he will just not want anything to do with that and he'll just shut down and begin to do his own thing and so we should have very little expectation for talking when we're working with a child here at this receptive language level so we need to be super clear with parents we need to demonstrate with them how to do it where we're not saying hey don't have very many expectations for talking when you're doing this and yet we're saying tell me this say this you gotta say you know don't do that be sure that you are modeling exactly how you want parents to do it at home so again just to summarize here at this 12 to 18 month level we keep these directions super simple during play ask a child what would logically come next so if he has a man and it's walking toward the car you say put the man in or make the daddy drive whatever you know in the car whatever you want to say there but again keep it super simple and what you think might come next so if he's walking toward the ball what would you say kick the ball get the ball you know something like that and again is he doing what would naturally come next independent of what you are saying maybe but he's got an opportunity now to link meaning because he's heard you say you've put the words on top of what he's already about to do so he's heard you say what he was going to do anyway and that's wonderful so be sure that you're thinking about that another kind of command that we give at this level is and this goes right along with our cognitive play skills <coughs> pardon me that we talked about in the introduction that would be giving a child a direction that's a functional object use. So if you have a cup, what's your functional use for a cup? Take a drink, right? Or give the baby a drink. If you had a hairbrush, what would be the functional use for that? Brush the baby's hair or, you know, brush your hair if you're not, you know, up to the point where you're doing it with um, a character yet. And so, again, those really simple directions there. For book, it would be read a book. For car, make the car go. For block, stack it up or knock it down. For spoon, take a bite. You know, again, very logical. That's how we want to keep it here. Super simple commands 
follow through with your tagline, tell them, show them, help them. And that's just kind of, again, the crux of what we're talking about of this, uh, the whole uh, rest of these milestones, like we were talking about back in the introduction. And so we're going to expand these ideas as we walk through the remaining skills. All right. So now let's look at the second skill on the list. And I already told you back in the introduction how much I love this skill on developmental tests. And I think it is super um, explanatory when we have a child who by 18 months does not understand to res- that he should respond to requests to say words. Now, you know his parents have tried and tried and tried to get that going. His mom has stood in front of him and probably has said, say mama a thousand times, maybe more, maybe more. And so when we have a child who, again, isn't talking by 18 months, they're also missing this receptive language skill. They don't understand how to respond to words. And so, so many times we have imitation listed as as always listed as an expressive language skill. And let me say something about why imitation is so important. Imitation is how all of us learn everything, and it's especially how we learn how to talk. And so, yes, imitation is an expressive language skill, but it's also a receptive language skill. They've got to understand that you want them to repeat you. You want them to copy. It's also a cognitive skill. And what do I mean by that? It's remembering. It's remembering what they're supposed to say. It's watching you. It's paying enough attention. That's what cognition is. It's how we learn, how we listen, how we respond, how we organize, how we attend to, those kinds of things. So that's why imitation is also partly a cognitive skill. Imitation is also a social skill. And so when you have children who aren't very connected, kids who aren't making lots of eye contact, kids who don't have good joint attention in that they're sharing that experience with you, they also are poor imitators because they lack that engagement piece or that first little piece of, I'm going to pay attention to you because you're the other person in this environment. And when we communicate, it always takes at least two people and you're my other person here. And again, I I want to be with you. So I'm going to look at you. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to copy what you do. And so that's why imitation is also a social skill. And so again, we want kids understanding this by 18 months old. The truth is we want them understanding it sooner than that by, you know, really between 12 to 15 months old. And so many of our little friends are that would typically like developing language skills are imitating beautifully at 12 and 13 and 14 months old. So this is kind of an outlying age on this too, as far as imitation goes. And so, you know, responding to requests to say words. And we also just talked about that goes right along with following those other simple one-step directions in play as well. All right, let's move on and talk about the next skill. It's identifies body parts on a doll. So if you were with me for show 450 back in the previous developmental period, so the skills that a kid attains by 12 months old, you know that we said we want a child by 12 months old to start to identify at least a couple of body parts. So here we're going to continue that skill through this 12 to 18 month period where kids will identify more body parts on themselves and they're, they will probably also recognize and point to body parts on their moms or on their dads, you know, so that when a mom says, where's your nose? Sometimes before the child touches his own nose, what does he do? He reaches out and touches mama's nose, right? And so we want to keep expanding that, but we also want children by 18 months to be able to point to body parts on a doll. Now, Dr. Rosetti 
says that on the, uh, uh, using the test that lots of us as early intervention uh, speech language pathologists use, the Rosetti Infant Toddler Language Scale, it's been around forever. You know, I've worked for uh, almost 30 years, and so that's the test that I've used forever. So it's just a time-tested uh, test. And so by 18 months, Dr. Rosetti says that toddlers can identify six different body parts on a doll now sometimes when I say that to parents they freak out and they say that's too hard oh that you know but that's what that's what typically developing babies and toddlers can do so that's what we're going to work on so last show we talked about in 450 and 451 we talked about a lot of introductory uh, strategies that we could use like singing songs every time that we change a toddler's diaper so that we're singing our body part songs that we're tying that to getting dressed that we're really asking them often you know show me your feet and you know where where's your belly those kinds of things and so we can also do these same kinds of routines to get a child to be able to identify body parts on a doll so you can sing with a doll to establish a routine and again I don't pull out a doll and say now we're going to go over body parts so get ready no you just do this naturally and play you might kind of combine it like we were talking about in the previous uh, segment where we were looking at follows one step commands during play and we were saying that we would do things like give the baby a bite and hug the baby. Well, here you may do a few of those things and then just stop and say, oh, let's find the baby's eyes. Can you find the baby's eye? And then you might just break into song, you know, baby has a little eye, little eye, little eye. Baby has a little eye. Touch her eye like this or touch her, whatever, whatever the last line is. I might have just botched that. But you get my point right there, right? That you can just immerse these little routines and these little learning bursts even within other activities and as a therapist you know that but parents don't always understand it and so many of the emails that I get at teach me to talk are parents saying I don't know how to play or this doesn't come naturally to me or you know I have to really watch an example or read an example of how you would do this during play to know how to do it and so as therapists that should be just really you know ear opening information for us when we hear a parent say that we know I've got to show them how to do it I've got to really be a good model I'm not only working with this child in this session but I'm working with this parent in this session too and so just continue those kinds of uh, strategies those teaching little routines that you're using be sure that you're repeating them session after session after session again not only for the child but for the parents benefit so that they can carry over those same strategies. I talked about back in show uh, shows 450 and 451 that when I start teaching body parts, here teaching them all on the on a baby's own face is really really hard because you know even with their. Uh, just with accuracy if they're trying to get nose and miss a little bit you know their motor planning maybe to get that little fingertip right on the right body part may not be as accurate as we would like so I teach body parts that are far away from each other and at least a couple that we can see or that a child can see so I like to teach hair belly and then toes and so again you'll start with these things you if you've done that with a child and you're kind of moving on to a doll repeat the same uh, body parts that you're using when you work their with the baby doll and again make uh, teaching body parts as fun as possible when you're teaching eyes you know really blink your eyes when you're teaching nose you know do some sneezing or some <laughs> snoring or honking or however you want to think about it make it just as exciting and as fun as it can be 
Another fun little game here, and again, this isn't necessarily, I guess we could do it with a baby doll, with, uh, but it's so much more fun to play with a child, is the uh, get your or kiss your, and so you, you know, when you're talking about body parts, you say, oh, I'm going to kiss your toes, where are your toes, I'm going to kiss your toes, and you know, always, if a child knows toes, they're going to reach out and grab their little toes, or you know, next, you know, I'm going to kiss your, uh, kiss your eyes, I'm going to kiss your eye, and so again, a child is probably going to try to cover his eyes because this is such a teasing little routine and so that's another fun uh, kind of routine to teach parents and again you don't always want your learning strategies to be that you sit and with the doll and say you know show me belly show me ear show me mouth you want it to be fun and you want it to be a routine again that a child likes participating in and that a parent likes uh, doing as well so those were some ideas for body parts let's move on to the next skill which is understand some early prepositions so like we said back in the introduction what are prepositions prepositions are location words and so the list that we know that typically developing children understand by 24 months are those early prepositions and we usually think about them as opposites so off and on in and out up and down and then I want to add two more that are really more general here and there and lots of kids understand that and say those words too uh, we teach these words during context while we're playing and we use objects to demonstrate the concept and so again it's so toddlers learn by doing they don't always learn best with a screen <laughs> despite what you might think Ah, that's actually the worst we want kids to learn in real life everyday activities and so you've got to show them these things again in everyday routines where you're saying you know put if you're putting bathtub toys in you're saying put the duck in put the boat in put the fish in put the ball in so they're hearing that keyword in 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 over and over and over and so uh, you know do you want down do you want mommy to let you down do you want to be down on the floor or opposite you know let me pick you up uh, or let's put the cup up on the counter and so just really using those words in everyday routines I don't think I've said this already but let me go ahead and mention it anytime we're teaching a word we always want our target word at the end of a phrase so that the child hears that word last and so that's the word especially here in this developmental period that they are holding on to and so we want to again be sure that we're teaching parents just those things that we as therapists just it's instinctive to us now but we want to be sure that we are directly teaching parents that another fun way to really target prepositions here at this phase is to let the child be the object that we uh, perform the location words uh, using so uh, let's say we take something like a laundry basket and I have a really cute therapy tip of the week with uh, these instructions uh, here on our YouTube channel and I'll try to link that below if I if I remember to do that but we take a child and we put him let's say we put him in the laundry basket and we talk about in and then we take him we t or we tell him you know you can get out why don't you get out get out or we take him out or we turn the laundry basket over and we put him on and so again with a child we can hold the child up we can hold the child down 
That's such a fun way to teach prepositions and think about it. But here's the kicker. With many of our little language-delayed friends, we can't teach all of them at the same time. You could not teach uh, with that laundry basket, what did I do, four different prepositions with in, out, on, and off. You can't do that at one time with so many of our little guys with language delays because they, they're not processing language that fast, and they're just not remembering it. And so you've got to, again, teach those preposition words one at a time. In typical development, we always teach those words or lots of times teach them as pairs, but we want to be uh, with the opposites. We want to be super careful about that with kids with language delays uh, because they may uh, not always get it. And again, you might want to use some pictures when you're teaching, when you're uh, reading a child's favorite book. And let's say that um, just a book like Good Night Moon, and you're saying, you know, here, uh, Good Night Comb, Good Night Brush, and you're saying, where are the comb and the brush? They're on, on the table. That's probably a little bit too hard because they're not going to sort out yet. Uh, be able to pull those words from all of that other extraneous information. And so again, you can use some pictures, but not your best tool here at the 12 to 18 month developmental level. So stick with real actions and real objects to really get comprehension going. All right, let's talk about the next skill. It's finds familiar objects not in sight. And we talked about this back in the introduction. So here, I'm really asking you to play toddler scavenger hunt. And so this is where you are asking a child to, you know, go get your book or something like, oh, let's play ball. Where's your ball? And they toddle off to get their ball and then bring it back to you. And so kids have to understand several different things to make this happen. First of all, like we said in the introduction, what the word means, and then secondly, where does mom keep that? So this brings us to an interesting dilemma that I bet if you have served as a uh, home health-based speech-language pathologist or in a state early intervention program where you are seeing children in their homes or in other natural environments like a daycare center, and this isn't, maybe this doesn't apply at daycare as much as it does at home, but when you have a child who that's in a home where there's not much organization and again, I'm not saying that every mom has to be a, a super uh, housework fanatic and just have the most clean, most organized home. None of us have that when we have babies and toddlers and preschoolers. But they, there need to be routines. <laughs> and places to keep things because I've worked with families that again a toddler would struggle to find something like where are your shoes go get your shoes they you know just too much out they just there's not a regular place they don't have a ton of uh, consistency in their everyday schedule and so again I'm not slamming moms for where we are because you know I too lived through that you know with three kids uh, who were uh, again all underfoot but at the same time you know, you've got to have some way of being able to measure that. So, so that, that's all I want to say about that. All right. So toddler scavenger hunt is a really fun kind of game to play where you're asking. And again, do it in conjunction with uh, the activity that you are about to do with the child. So if you know that you're going to read a book, you know, you say, let's read a book, go find your book. Or, oh, let, let's snuggle. Where's your, let's get on the, uh, whatever you're going to do. If you're going to, 
I don't even want to give this example. Say, watch a movie, but we, you know, we've all done it. But you know, you want to watch your show. You know, do you want your blanket or your cold? Go get your blanket and or find your passy or those kinds of things. Kids should be able to do that by the time they are about eighteen months. And so, talk with parents about that. The scavenger hunt is actually a fun kind of little game to play, and I keep talking about it. And and then I move on to give the example of everyday routines. But you could just play that for the sake of playing a game. You know, when you when you're there with a child in their home and just talk with parents about what kinds of objects do you think that they would understand what do you think he knows well enough to be able to go get and so let a parent just kind of do it they'll say well he really knows where we keep you know blank and so sit with a parent and uh, that could be a really fun thing to show them oh your child understands this or oh you know he he needed a lot of help with this when we do this activity with him we're gonna have to get up with him and go with them you know this is the show him and help him part of tell him show him help him so that he can uh, complete that kind of request so really important milestone to work on easy for parents to do if you use the term like toddler scavenger hunt or you know i spy or whatever you want to call it where you make it more game like and we talked about back in show number 448 that some parents really need the structure of a game they are not able to adapt the strategies as easily as you would think even if you're tying them to daily routines but when we give them something like oh let's play this game they remember that they get that and that makes more sense to them it's more comfortable to them because their rules or uh, you know again the beginning the middle and the end of the game and they know what to do next they don't have to they don't feel like they're deer in the headlights and have to think on their feet as often so uh, a great way uh, to work on receptive language would be to get some of those games going with families at home and you can show them how to do that in sessions where uh, if you're seeing a child in a clinical setting where you're just putting out different toys or maybe there are different parts of your uh, little therapy room where you work with him and so that you're able to show a parent you know how you would play these games at home so super super important strategy and I hope that it works as well for your families as it has for mine over the years all right let's move on and talk about the next skill which is enjoys rhymes and finger plays now remember what we said in the introduction this is a natural extension of what we wanted a child to do by 12 months old remember we said that he was participating in little early social games like peekaboo and what did we say about peekaboo we wanted him what's his part of peekaboo it would be taking the blanket off his head or eventually initiating peekaboo with you and covering his head so that he's wooing you to want to come play that game with him and so this is again what we would see between 12 and 18 months it's just that natural extension he's already begun to participate he recognizes the games but now he loves the games and he wants you to play as often as as he thinks about it <laughs> as much as he wants to initiate I love social games and I talked about this back in the beginning and here that's what we're on the milestones when they list rhymes and figure plays same kind of concept here we love social games and these kinds of routines because they target two skills that all pediatric speech language pathologists work on all day every day and that's imitation and language so we're teaching a child to copy actions in a game so if we're talking about finger plays that would be like a little song like itsy bitsy spider we want him copying you know the hand motions for that or a song like wheels on the bus we want him you know copying all the little hand motions we'll sing those songs again in a minute if or in a minute if you don't know those but uh, we want the child to 
remember the song and then to do his part. And again, there's a big cognitive component here as well. And we talked about that. We just talked about that where we want a child remembering his part and then recognizing it. And then the pragmatic part of the language use part, beginning to initiate that game as well. And so we're going to talk about the expressive part of this coming up in the next show in 453. But right now we're just talking about the expressive part, which is that the child is remembering as many songs as we can teach him, or let's say it the other way. Let's back it up. You teach the child as many songs as he or the parent can remember. You use variety with that. Remember, you're also working on motor planning. And what is motor planning? It's getting an idea from your head to here at your mouth or your hands out here for hand motions. So important with our kids for markers with uh, speech sound disorders, particularly apraxia with motor planning there. Uh, If you are looking for songs to teach children during therapy, the best resource that I can recommend for you is the first book I wrote. It's Teach Me to Play With You, which is a therapy manual just filled with those those kinds of games, but with tiny step-by-step instructions so that you can make this more therapy-like. You're not just teaching a child itsy bitsy spider or teaching a child wheels on the bus or head, shoulders, knees, and toes, or even a song like This Little Light of Mine. You're not teaching them the song per se. You're teaching them what we talked about. You're teaching them imitation. You're teaching them to copy those hand motions. You're teaching them, again, to remember the routines there. And so let's just kind of walk through this continuum of what the goals would be so that you are super, super sure about that. So for the first goal, the child is just attending to what you're doing, just staying with you, watching your hand movements, or just being interested there, interested in what you're doing. That's goal number one. So when you have a child that has been kind of doing his own thing and then you get him to the point where he's contained enough where he can sit down with you and really listen and really participate ah you know you've met goal number one (laughs) that's happened there the second goal then would be what we would want to see even more participation so with the game like itsy bitsy spider and let me just sing it or go through it for because i always get emails after shows that say you mentioned this song but i don't know this song and i haven't been able to find it when i've googled it And that probably wouldn't happen with the songs that I'm using. But let's just run through them. So, uh, itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Out came the sun and dried up all the rain. And the itsy bitsy spider went up the spout again. So the second little goal with that song would be that a child tries to do the hand motions. Now he's not going to get it perfectly. He's going to do, you know, whatever, but that's okay. He's trying. So that would be our second goal. Our third little goal here might be that we want to add the vocalization so that when you're doing Itsy Bitsy Spider, or let's change it to Wheels on the Bus, that when you're, you know, singing, the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round all through the town. Even if a child's not getting the round on the round, if they're trying to, you know, do something and then start to bounce with you or hum, uh, or, you know, vocalize, uh, you know, whatever they're doing, whatever they're trying, a vocalization would be a nice third goal. And again, the fourth goal might be that we want them to initiate that so that 
it. When they see a bus, they look at you with twinkly eyes and start to kind of bounce. And you know, oh my goodness, she's trying to sing Wheels on the Bus. Or they start to do their arms or you see them like, how does that go? You know, where they're, you can kind of see their wheels turn and they're processing. And so that would be how we sequentially walk a child through those things and, and use those things. And so that's a really fun goal to work on. And again, if you were not singing in therapy, I just encourage you to start doing that today. We're going to talk about some tips for that in 453, the next show coming up. So I hope that you'll join me for that. But the receptive language skill here is that we have a child enjoying rhymes and enjoying finger plays and then enjoying means he's participating and even certainly remembering, but maybe even initiating some of those little games. So we want that happening by uh, 18 months. All right, let's move on to the next skill. And this one is what we talked about uh, in the introduction is so important for pediatric therapists as we start to help a child attain early literacy skills even as a toddler or as a baby. And so this milestone is attends to pictures. And so by 15 months, a child with typically developing skills really uh, starts to, again, want to read the books. His attention is right there. And so certainly by 18 months, which is again three months later we want uh, all children with typically developing skills or close to that be able to uh, perform this milestone by 21 months here's why this is important by 21 months we want him able to identify several pictures by pointing when we're saying where's the cat or show me the boy or find the house or where's the truck you know we point to the truck we want him doing lots of that by the time certainly by 21 24 months that begins to come in and so we have to have him doing the skill just under that in this earlier age range like we always talk about when a child can't do something we back up to find out you know where did this problem start and so for lots of our little guys who don't identify uh, pictures in books by the time they're two it's because they really haven't established that visual attention to books and so we want to help them be able to do that one way that we know that they're starting to understand books is that a child will write the book so meaning that when you give him the book and the words and the pictures are upside down he automatically knows how to turn it over now this is such a concern for us as therapists when we get a three-year-old or a four-year-old who's still looking at a page upside down and as a parent you may be thinking well he can't read the words he doesn't know that the words are upside down nobody should recognize that the pictures are upside down and so again that just tells us we've got some work to do with our early literacy skills here we've got to expose them to more books and perhaps it is a cognitive problem maybe there's a visual problem but again this gives you an idea that it might not always be uh, you know what we think that skill is we have to back it up until we get kind of to the point where a child is breaking down so what do we do for our little guys who aren't demonstrating uh, those early literacy skills particularly that attention to the pictures. My best advice here is you've got to make it more fun and you've got to make it more active. So instead of just sitting and, and reading the story, which is probably 
you know, a lot of kids can sit through that. A lot of typically developing kids can sit through that at 12 to 18 months. But a lot of our little guys with language issues, particularly those who have sensory components, cannot and will not sit through that. And so you have got to make it more fun. And so reading the story isn't enough. You're going to have to point out the pictures. You even probably need to get more interactive with the book so that when you see a baby, you're saying, let's pat the baby, kiss the baby, tickle the baby so that you're having the child really, really do something with the book. When you see a barn door or a barn in the book, you say, let's knock on the door. Um, you know, what, whatever activity you can come up with to do with a picture. When you see a flower, you would say, oh, let's smell the flower. Mm. And so again, you model that action that you want the child to imitate. That helps him connect meaning with the picture. So his attention is there. He's connecting meaning with it. And then you've gotten him more actively involved. So he's certainly going to probably want to continue with that much more so than it just being purely an auditory experience alone. And by, by that, I mean that he's just listening. There's nothing else for him to do. And kids with a language delay, what do they hear? They just hear why. Wah, 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 wah. They are not always pulling out words that they know. They are not always assigning meaning and really trying to understand. And so we have to make books for them much more meaningful. You can't always do it with the auditory. You need to do it with the, your visual cues too. So I gave you some examples of things that you uh, could do there to make books more interactive. Now let me say one other thing. Sometimes our little guys uh, who have language delays, and let's just go ahead and talk about the ones who might have markers for autism. Their parents will say something like, oh, he loves books. He just can't get enough of his books. I bet I have bought him 40 books or, you know, 10 books, whatever they say. And so you think, oh my goodness, gosh, this this is probably going to be a real strength for this child. I can't wait to see this. And so then you sit down and you start to watch him do books. And what is he doing when he's reading books? All he's doing is flipping the pages really, really fast. And again, a parent thinks that he's absorbing that information. Sometimes they even think they're learning language. Even if you're not sitting with them and they're not hearing the word, parents haven't understood that, oh my goodness, that's Again, he has to hear that word. That's an auditory system. And what he's doing right now is purely visual. And so you have to talk about that. And you have to say, you know, and again, this is a hard conversation to have. <laughs> but you liken that to, you know, he's just kind of getting his little buzz from this. This is a self-stimulatory activity. Really, he's not looking at the pictures. He's just seeing the colors flip. And, you know, this is like when he, the same thing as when he puts his face right up to his iPad or right up to the TV. And so you explain it like that and you talk about how we need to uh, have that child begin to let you look at the book with him. And that's that's always a, a telltale sign, isn't it? When you sit to do a book with a child and they grab it from you and don't want you to hold it at all and they are hunkered down on top of it, you know, doing their little stemmy stuff. And so you have to help parents, again, walk through that. Those are super challenging conversations for us to have because we certainly never want to hurt a parent's feelings. And sometimes it's so hard for us as good-natured, optimistic uh therapist that again we don't always point out the obvious or don't always give it because we think a parent knows when they really don't and so be very gentle in these conversations be very cognizant that you could really damage your relationship with the family you don't want to do that but at the same time you do want to explain what's going on with the child and then more than that you say you know he's this isn't really a language learning activity for him let's uh, use books in a 
different way. And again, you do everything you can, even if it's putting the books away for a little bit so that you give the child some more maturity to be able to learn to listen to uh, commands and engage with you. And again, what do you do that with? You do that with social games and you get that going back and forth first with a person before you add that additional object and even the additional object might be something as valuable as a book but at the same time you know thinking about those language activities we want to make sure that parents understand what's really going on with their child and if uh, social games might be a better way to work on language for where this child would be that's kind of in that self-stimulatory loop rather than always looking at books because he he shuts down with that so have those conversations if you need to uh, and again refer them to this video <laughs> so that they can really understand what's going on there all right let's talk about this last receptive language milestone and remember we said this was kind of the culmination milestone for this whole period and it's understands 50 words and so most most of the time with new talkers, most of the word and, and new understanders, if we kind of want to break this down to the receptive language level, they understand mostly what? What part of speech? Mostly nouns or mostly names for things. So we really want to be sure that we are uh, using words so that they we are racking up and, and, and building a layer upon layer upon layer of words that they understand until we get kind of get to that 50 word milestone, which again here, I'm not going to talk too much about this uh, in this show with what a kid is saying by this point. But again, we want to get that 50, 50 words is a big benchmark when we're looking at language development. And so we not only want to count those nouns, which comprise most of what a child understands by 50 words, but we've already talked about those other words like prepositions or those really simple action words that we uh, give in directions to, like go and like give me. And uh, they certainly probably, if they're understanding a lot of nouns at this point, probably understand a lot of common verbs as well. So eat, jump, sleep, wash, uh, everything counts at this point. So what I have parents do, and this is, I have parents always keep a, a list of expressive language vocabulary, but for some parents, when we have, they are having difficulty understanding that their child isn't understanding many words, or even when a parent gets it, but we're trying to track, we might track receptive vocabulary before we even start to track what a child will say. Now, when I do this with families that I work with, I'm old school. I say to a parent, pop a list up on their refrigerator with a magnet, and every time you hear a new word, go write it. Certainly, uh, phones, parents can keep a running list in their phone. That's a good idea as well, but I think that's a really, really important recommendation for parents. And again, you may not want to start that too soon if you're working with a child with significant receptive language delays who's not even up to this 12 to 18 month level. That might be pretty um, defeating for a parent to for you to really say, I only understand two words. You know, that that might not be what you want to do, but when you're getting to this point, tracking can be powerful because, again, it's a motivator. It lets us know either how well the child is doing or that we have lots more work to do. So I uh, wanted to be sure to talk with you about that. If you purchase the handout for the show, 
there's a vocabulary list on the second page that you can refer to just for some ideas for the kinds of words that we should be teaching receptively. And again, because a child, this is a vocabulary list that I use, you know, all the way through toddlerhood. So all the way to three or not just chronologically, but developmentally. So some of the words on this list are going to be too complex or not have enough. A child won't have had enough experience by the time he's in this 12 to 15 month old period for some of these words to be meaningful. Pick out the meaningful words that would be relevant for this family and this child and really help them focus on how to teach a child to uh, understand those words. And you really always want to tie it to the one outcome that parents always want to accomplish when they're in speech therapy, and that's what? is to help a child talk. And so a child has to understand words before he can use those words to talk. And so you, you, you talk to parents about that, how here in this developmental period or what we're going to work on for this next three months is just understanding. We're not going to focus so much on talking yet because he's got to understand more words before he can say more words. And that's how you say it, and that's how you get parents to buy into that. All right, so those were our receptive language milestones through 18 months. Let's go ahead now and then connect that with what we talked about at the beginning, the major cognitive milestones by 18 months. And remember what we said last time in show 450, the first show in this series, we cannot separate receptive language from cognition in a child who's under three. And so if you want to hear that discussion, go back and listen to 450, but just know it. They're kind of the same skill. You will have some nonverbal strengths or some nonverbal skills that you can pull out that are not really tied per se to language, but at the same time, really, really connected. So let's talk about how the play skills for this period line up with the receptive language skills so nicely. So by 18 months, we want a child to demonstrate functional use of familiar objects. So that means when you give him something, he knows what to do with it. So if you gave him a hat, we would want him to what? Put it on his head. If you gave him a spoon and a bowl, we would want him to what? Stir with the spoon or try to eat or feed you or do something functional where he's using the bowl to pretend. And again, is pretending really happening here uh, by 18 months? No, it comes in that next developmental period between 18 and 24 months. But remember what we said, every skill that we see at one age level begins the age level or two before or maybe you know when we get up when a child gets up to be even older it's years before uh, that that he started working on this skill just with the very basic components of that and so we're getting to pretending but before we get to pretending by the time a child is two he has to be using it in the real way or the intended way so that he's got some basis for being able to uh, coordinate all those cognitive skills and start to develop some play routines where he's truly pretending and so he really can't pretend that he's eating with his imaginary spoon and holding his imaginary plate and being symbolic like that until he's demonstrated that he can do it with the real thing. And so that's what we want to work for here at this 12 to 18 month developmental period. Now, I haven't said this in this show, and as therapists, you know this, but as parents, you may have a child who is two or who is three and is still back here 
not consistently following commands and not using a lot of words. Well, guess what? He's here at that 12 to 18 month developmental period. So these are the play skills you need to be working on with him. Not using something that's a lot higher. And again, you might change your materials. Instead of a baby doll, you might have Batman or another superhero for a little boy or, you know, for a little girl who's learning all this, you might use Barbie or uh, some other character that she just loves from a show. If she has another doll or something, you might make the materials a little bit older, a little bit more mature to match their chronological age interest. But developmentally, they've got to be back down here working on the same skills. So functional use of objects. So brushing hair with a hairbrush. Uh, if there's a baby wipe there, either changing the baby's diaper or washing the baby's face or washing her hands or something that would look like uh, uh, an intended way to use that baby wipe. And so that's the first thing that we want to see them do is really start to link meaning with that. And you think, you know, this is this is such an exciting time for parents because they, they'll see a child play with something or use, you know, you hand them... Um, you hand them something, you hand them the remote control, and they hold it up to the TV. You know, even if they're at grandma's house, they've learned that the remote control at your house looks like this, and they can generalize in the remote control at the babysitter's house or at, you know, Uncle Ted's house <laughs> looks like this. And so they know to point it up to the TV, and you think, oh my gosh, she's 13 months old. I can't believe she knows that. Yeah, she knows that. She does. She's demonstrating there that, again, that functional use of objects. And so we want to see that. So that's the first skill. It's such an exciting time. We want to see that. And that's why we said we work on this in play when we're giving those one-step directions during play. This is one of the things we do. We, we work on that functional object use, you know, even in play like that. All right. We, that's that. The second skill here is so related. It imitates actions they see during play. So remember how we've talked about a lot that uh, how important imitation is because why and I, again I want you to use these words that that I say over and over show after show I know some of you listen to or watch every show you know for the past 10 years you know you've been doing that so what why is imitation important imitation is important because it's how kids learn everything especially how to talk. <laughs> and so again, imitation doesn't start at that verbal level. It starts non-verbally. And we've talked about that in the dozens and dozens of shows that I've done about teaching imitation and that whole imitation hierarchy. We walked through that back in shows 450 and 451. We didn't do that in the show. I'm so proud of that, that I didn't repeat myself with that. But this is where imitation starts, where they start to repeat or copy something, an action they see you do. And it usually is with a toy or in an everyday routine. So what does that mean? In order for a kid to learn how to imitate, what have they got to see? They've got to see you doing some things with play. So like we talked about before, you've got to be down on the floor. You've got to be with them one-on-one, face-to-face in their space, and you've got to do things so that they can copy you. And again, this is where imitation starts. And so if you have a child who's not talking, you got to walk that imitation piece down. He's not imitating words. Okay. You know, and walk it all the way back down. And a lot of times we really do get back to this very ground level uh, place here with kids who aren't imitating. We've got to learn how to imitate actions with objects first. And we see this come in in typical development 
you know, at 12 months and certainly between 12 and 18 months. And we see it during play along with everyday routines. And that's why we say that looking at a child during play is the very best way. Really, it's the only way (laughs) that we can measure what a child understands at this point because he can't tell us and he can't really sit well enough to perform well enough on a standardized test. I mean, that's just well above where we would expect any child to be cognitively and maturation-wise here at this 12 to 18-month level. But we can look at their play. We can look at their play and determine, you know, does he have those three major cognitive milestones from the previous period by 12 months with object permanence and cause and effect and simple problem solving? And then now we bump that up to does he demonstrate functional use with objects and can he imitate actions with toys in play? And so those five cognitive skills tell you a lot about where a child is functioning and we certainly can tie that to receptive language. So work on these things during play. Play really supports us as a child is learning language and so we use play as a strategy through all this again not just to teach a child how to say words and use words and understand directions but again really prime up that underlying cognitive system so that again he's really developmentally ready to learn how to understand and then use words all right so my best resource for teaching these skills i'm not sure i've mentioned it this whole show but most of this information is from teach me to talk the therapy manual. You can buy it exclusively at my website at teachmetotalk.com. I've got the post here on YouTube uh, right there below in the description. But this is a fantastic resource for you if you are a parent and working with a child. It takes all of these skills like we've been talking about today at the 12 to 18 month level and really gives you some ideas and some suggestions for how to work on these. Now this is really valuable to you as a therapist because you can take these ideas and not only use these in therapy with the child as you work one-on-one with the child with his or her family but then give that information to the parents to be able to carry over your work with the child and be able to use those strategies day in and day out and that's where we make the most difference with receptive language and kids can get better receptively or expressively in one hour of speech therapy a week I know because I've seen it happen with kids that I've served for years and years and their parents don't do very much outside But that's not the optimal thing. And if you are a parent taking the time to join me here on this podcast, either on YouTube or by listening to it, you're not that kind of parent. So that's the kind of resource that I want to be sure that you know that's here, available for you, and it's where most of the information for this podcast has come from. All right, that's all for today. Coming up next in the next course is number 453. It's the expressive language uh, counterpart to this show where we look at kids, all that they're learning how to do between 12 to 18 months receptively or expressively. I hope that you'll join me uh, for that show. And there's such a nice overlap. And again, if, if you're not a pediatric speech-language pathologist. You don't eat and breathe and live this stuff like we do, but receptive skills are always tied to expressive skills. So what they're doing receptively, then they start to do expressively. So if that's a connection you're just making as another kind of therapist or as a parent, you know, I hope that that's what I've left you with uh, and your one big message, you know, from today's show. All right, that's really it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and you've just watched or listened to Teach Me to Talk's podcast. Bye-bye.